is Kayla, and I'm one of the pastors here at Northgate, where we envision transforming our homes, communities, and world by pursuing God, building community, and unleashing compassion. I am so glad that you chose to worship with us today. We are finishing up a series called My Real Bucket List. Each week, we have looked at the top five regrets of the dying. It's in a book by a woman named Bronnie Ware, and we've been like peeking into her experience as someone who walked with people in their last days. And what she realized through her work is that people kept having these same five regrets. So we've taken those five regrets, we've brought them to scripture and said, okay, what does God have to say about this stuff? And then our idea is that by the end of this series, so like in 20 minutes or so, we will have a real bucket list of five things that we want to be sure that we do, rhythms that we are sure that we are putting into our lives before we die. But instead of the people that Bronnie knew and loved, we want to do them right now. We don't want to wait until the end of our lives. We want to put those into practice right now. So during this series, we've already got four things on our list. We have be true to myself, We have work less, where Pastor Larry talked about Sabbath. We talked about speaking truth and reconciling relationships, having the bravery to say true things to fix those relationships. And then last week, Pastor Larry talked to us about building meaningful relationships, that that's really what this life is all about, is building meaningful relationships. And then today, we are going to add number five, and that is this— As she was walking with these people at the end of their lives, they kept saying, man, I just wish I had been happier. And so today, we're going to put on our bucket list, I choose happiness. Now, I got to be honest, I grew up in the church, and I kept hearing lessons and have even taught that there is a very big difference between happiness and joy, There's this distinction that is so important between joy and happiness. And what I heard, what I learned, and what I even taught was this. Happiness is temporary. Happiness is a feeling that you get. Happiness is all emotion, and it changes from time to time. But joy, joy comes from God, and it is irrespective of what's happening in your life. Joy is something that comes from God alone. And as believers, as believers, we should have joy no matter what is going on in our lives, even in the dark and difficult times. Now hear me. I believe in the intent of those messages, the ones that I taught. But as I was preparing for this message, I began to see some possible dangers with those lessons. And, and here, here's the dangers. And this is how I kind of want to set the table for what we're going to talk about today. The first danger with that kind of thinking, the first danger between saying this is joy and this is happiness and they're not the same thing and frankly, they don't even look the same, right? The first danger is that we look like crazy people. Okay, We look like crazy people because in every other circumstance, joy and happiness mean the same thing. You walk around in the world and you hear people say joy and they're thinking happiness. You say happiness and they're thinking joy. And I don't think it's that crazy because it's not the only English word that that happens to. Think about how we use the word love. We love tacos. 
We love our spouse. And yet we use the word love to describe God himself. I don't love God like I love tacos. It's not the same, but we're not throwing out the word love and saying we can no longer use the word love for God. Love is only for tacos. We don't say that. We just say there is a difference. There's a difference between Christ-centered true love and this superficial temporary love. And what I believe is that we can do the same thing for the word happiness. I want to recapture the word happiness. And here's why. It's because of the second danger. And I think this one has even worse consequences. It's this. If we define joy as unemotional and transcendental, and we, 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 we say that's the only thing that joy can be, it's that deep-seated stuff. It has nothing to do with this frivolous smiling and laughing. Then we are justifying our own unhappiness. And I think that's actually a temptation for us. You see, I think one of the reasons we want to separate these two words, joy and happiness, is because somewhere deep down inside, we know that we should be happier than we are. Now now hear me. We know that we should be happier than we are if we really are children of God who have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. There's something that feels wrong about having the creator of the universe as our best friend and as our true love and not feeling more happy. And so I think sometimes we want to justify our own unhappiness so we can accept a a less than fun, Debbie Downer, kind of circling the drain type of life. Even though scripture commands us to rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Maybe we want to just lower the bar a little bit. And maybe that's so that we don't feel so disappointed when we don't feel as happy. But hear me, I'm not suggesting that Christ followers never feel suffering. They never experience sorrow. Scripture tells us that sorrow is and will be our reality. But I don't want us to miss out on the very real joy that looks a whole lot like happiness. And not just for our own sake, but actually for the sake of the world. An extensive study was done over the course of three years, and the This study was, let's go ask unchurched young people what they think when they think about Christians. What are some characteristics that they think of when they think of Christians? Here were their top five characteristics. Judgmental, hypocritical, political, insensitive, and I think one of the worst, boring. Words like happy and joyful didn't just not make the list. Happy and joyful were the exact opposite of the characteristics that the study said we were known for. But Jesus said that anyone that follows him and lives the way that he calls us to live, his joy would be in us and our joy would be full Then later, Paul tells us that one of the markers of a life in Christ, a life filled with the Spirit, would be joy. And so now I wonder, what if our lack of happiness, our lack of joy, is actually trying to tell us something? 
coal miners actually know that dangerous gases like carbon monoxide and methane can build up in the mines. And so they have technology that will let them know that these gases are building up. It'll beep and they know, okay, this isn't safe, we have to take care of it. Because carbon monoxide can asphyxiate them and methane will explode. We've all heard stories of mines doing these things and people dying. But coal mining has been a lo- around for a long time. It's been a long, way longer than those technologies. So they had a low-tech way of doing it before. They actually brought in canaries to the mines. They brought in these precious little yellow birds, and they brought them into the mines with them because the canaries, um, their metabolism was very, very sensitive to air quality. And so what would happen is these sweet little yellow birds would be like chirping and tweeting, and the miners would know everything's okay. But if the gases started to rise, the birds would stop singing. Then they'd start to get wobbly, and then eventually they would fall to the bottom of their cages dead. So the miners would know that something was wrong. I think our joy, our happiness, is like that singing yellow bird. When our hearts stop singing, it's a warning that we need to watch out. We need to watch our lives. Many of us walk around and we think, like, joy should just be something that comes naturally. Happiness is something for happy people. (laughs) When when I'm going to be happy, it's because I should be happy. It'll just happen to me. You've met them, the people that walk into the room and it doesn't matter what's happening and everything is coming up roses. Sometimes you love them and sometimes you want to punch them in the throat. And then there's other people that it feels like they can't ever be happy. But we look at happiness and joy as if it's one way or the other. You either got it or you don't. But I believe that happiness is a choice and joyfulness is a learned skill. It has to be developed Scripture wouldn't call us to something if we could not obtain it. So it is your responsibility to find joy. It's your responsibility to develop happiness in your life. No one else can do it for you. Not your partner, not your children, not your boss or your job, not your bank account, not your parents or your circumstances. You are responsible I am responsible for my joy and my happiness. I want you to hear me. I'm not saying that we can't ever feel sad. I'm not saying that we can't feel grieved or angry or depressed. In fact, I believe one of the other things we as Christians do not so great is lament. It's something that we don't know how to do. We don't know how to sit and look at God and say, I'm sad and I'm mad. But today, I also want us to turn our eyes to this idea that we can choose to develop happiness in our lives because God understands that hard things happen. He experienced them in his own life as Jesus here, and he wouldn't have given us this big range of emotions unless we were to use them. Not pursuing joy means that we are settling in to negativity and judgment. And that can become a dark spiral that sometimes we don't even realize is happening until we are circling the drain. Joy 
is the result of intentionally coming out from under all of that and realizing that God was there the whole time. Joy is a choice, and we can develop it in our lives. God wants us to have joy, not because we're bad Christians or bad people when we don't feel it, but because he knows what's best for us. He knows and he cares deeply about our mental health and how it affects us and others in our lives. So I want us to go to scripture today, and we're going to spend most of our time in the book of Philippians. Now, Philippians was written by the Apostle Paul to the Christians in Philippi. The interesting part about this letter was that Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter. He was in prison and he was writing them. So it kind of sounds like it'd be a weird place to go for instructions on joy because what could a prisoner possibly write about that? But it gets crazier. See, the prison that Paul was in looked a whole lot more like house arrest or shelter in place. He was writing a letter because he couldn't get to his friends in Philippi. He was stuck in a home He was under house arrest, and he couldn't get to them, and so he wrote this letter. Now, I don't know about you and how you did at the beginning of Shelter in Place, but joy and happiness are not describing words for what was happening in my home at the time. That's just not, I'm not sure that I could have given good um, instructions to people about what joy felt like at the beginning of all of this. But Philippians, one of its main themes is joy. So we're going to start in the first chapter, and it does not take long to see the very first occurrence of the word joy. Right here in verse 3, it says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It seems like there's something significant about this relationship that Paul was talking about. There was something significant about him remembering them. It's this remembering that led him to thankfulness, which resulted in joy. We see that he's thankful that he has partners with him in sharing the gospel. He's thankful because they are growing and maturing in their faith. There's a connection between a holy memory and thanksgiving and joy. So here's our first skill. You ready? Our first skill. To choose happiness is to intentionally remember the people God put in your life. So take a second to do that right now. Let's get real practical. It's really practical for right now because we can't be with everyone that God has placed in our lives. So think about it. Who is it? Who is it that you have served alongside? Who is it who has cared for you? Who have you had the honor of caring for? Who is it that you've seen take a next step and grow in their faith? Now take a minute and allow that remembering, that holy memory to actually bubble up joy in you. Allow yourself to feel it no matter your circumstances. Now let's flip over to chapter 2. We're going to get through almost this whole book today. Chapter 2, Paul is reaching back into the history of Israel. 
all the way back into the Old Testament. They have been wandering around in the wilderness, but God has provided for them every step of the way. He literally brought food from heaven and gave them water out of rocks. God has provided for them, and he's bringing them to the promised land. He showed them this land that would be theirs, and it was a good land. So you'd think this would be the moment where thankfulness and joy, maybe even, would bubble up in the Israelites. But instead, Paul is remembering in the history that this is when the Israelites started grumbling and complaining. In fact, they grumbled and complained so much that they refused to go into the promised land. This is what I picture. Have you ever given a child a cupcake? And you're like, this is going to be good. They're going to love this cupcake. And you hand it to them, and you watch their precious little face because they're about to tell you, you are the best parent in the world. You hand it to them, and they look at it, and they look at you, and then they cry. They cry, and you're like, what happened? Did your sister pinch you? What just happened? I just gave you a cupcake. And they look at you, and they say, it doesn't have sprinkles. (laughs) That's kind of the picture I get of the Israelites in this moment. God has brought food from heaven, and then they wanted variety. So he gave them different food from heaven, and they are grumbling, complaining, stomping their feet and saying, I'm not going into the promised land until you do it the way I want you to. This is the picture that Paul has in his mind when he's talking to the Philippians. And this is the picture that the Philippians would know exactly what he was talking about. Says this, starting in verse 14. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. And then he quotes, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. That's a quote from the Old Testament. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. He's saying what you spend your energy on is what you will spend your time experiencing. And that's a message for us too. You see, the Israelites grumbling and complaining would lead and spread to disunity, and it would ultimately lead to them not being able to experience the breadth of God's goodness for them. And Paul was looking at his friends, writing them this letter and saying, don't miss out on what God has for your life because you're grumbling and arguing. And that is something for us too. What we spend our energy on is what we will spend our time experiencing. And then he picks up in verse 17 after he encourages them to do something else entirely. This is what he says. Even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith. He's saying, even if I have to sacrifice everything to spend and be spent for your faith. I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul uses this word rejoice four times in two verses. It's actually translated, I am glad twice, so that we can distinguish between experiencing joy on our own and experiencing joy with others. He's saying, use your energy intentionally. You can use it to grumble and complain, 
Or you can use your energy to delight and experience the grace of God by yourself and with others. But you choose. And that's our second skill. To choose happiness is to refuse to use your energy for negativity. But friends, it's not just our energy. It's our attention, too. There is force in your focus. So if you flip over a page or two to chapter four, Paul is closing out his letter. He's giving some final encouragements. And then in verse four, we hear a familiar instruction. In fact, I said it earlier today. Rejoice in the Lord always, he says. I will say it again, rejoice. He says, be gentle, pray instead of worry. And then in verse eight, he gives us a framework for how we can move toward rejoicing. And it all starts in our minds. He says this, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. In other words, Joy won't automatically come into our lives if we just avoid being negative. And so here's our third skill. To choose happiness is to fix your focus on things that contribute to joy. To choose happiness is to fix our attention on things that will contribute to joy. We decide what we're going to focus on, which messages we give real estate to in our brains. Even in the midst of this extremely messy time in our world, we can choose to focus on what will contribute to joy. I love this. This is how the message version says it. You'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things that are true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. So let's get really practical. This is something we can do. You can do it. I can do it. We can have force in our focus. This is a habit we can start and a rhythm that we can keep. Every day until the end of the year, I just gave you a really long assignment. Every day until the end of the year, I want you to grab a notebook and I want you to write down five things every day that you're grateful for. Write down five things that are the best, not the worst. Beautiful, not the ugly. Things to praise, not to curse. For some of you, you actually already have this practice. It's something you've already built inside of you. For the rest of us, we're going to have to set an alarm on our phone to remind us to write these things down every night. But I believe that we can turn our minds toward things that contribute to joy. We can choose happiness, friends. We can learn to be full of joy. And now, while I'm not sure he got the idea from Philippians, at the beginning stages of the shelter in place and in the beginning stages of this COVID disaster, the actor uh, John Krasinski, he had played somebody on The Office, he started this thing called Some Good News. It was a series of videos that he did some funny stuff, he did some silly stuff, and he told stories of people that were doing good things for their neighbors and their, their communities. He said, we all needed some good news right in the middle of all of the awful stories in the news cycle. 
Well, in just two months, the videos had more than 72 million views. And he did things like a virtual prom and graduation for seniors that couldn't have them. He invited people like the cast of the Broadway hit Hamilton, which might have been the highlight of COVID for me, or an office reunion. He just brought some good news to the middle of a really dark time. Now, imagine if we, the church, imagine if we brought some good news to a really dark and broken world. Imagine what the world would look like if the church, if you and me and all believers everywhere, what would happen if we started to reorient ourselves toward joy? If we brought some good news, because after all, we have the very best news of all times. We already know how this story ends. We have flipped to the end of the book. We have fast forwarded to the end of the movie. Jesus wins. At the end of the day, Jesus wins. We're carrying around with us the gospel, which actually means good news. The gospel that God loved us so much that he would send Jesus to this earth to live a perfect life and then die a criminal's death on the cross so that you and I could be with him forever. We carry around that good news that he did not stay dead, but three days later, he rose from the dead, beating sin and death forever. That the the sin that we had died with him on the cross and it did not come back to life three days later. And we get to wear his perfection as if it was our own. And that perfection is the way we get to the Father. This is the news we carry in our very being. And then to top it all off, he gave us a helper, a down payment for our salvation. The Holy Spirit himself lives inside of us and empowers us with that good news. And then he asked us to just share his good news with the world. What if we brought the world some good news? What would happen to the world if we brought the good news that is actually coursing through our veins? What if this is what we have to offer? What if we choose happiness? What if we choose joy and we actually look like it's fun? What if we start living in a way that shows the world that they are loved and this is good news? Even in this next moment, while we worship together, may you be filled with joy. May the joy of the Lord truly be your strength, not only for your own benefit, but for the benefit of the world. May you be so filled with God's love that you can't help but spill out that joy to the rest of the world. And may you look like you are full of joy. May you choose happiness this week.